0: This is Apologetics Profile, a podcast from Watchman Fellowship Incorporated. Here is your host, staff apologist Daniel Ray. In Shakespeare's timeless classic Julius Caesar, the nobleman Cassius is attempting to persuade Caesar's friend Brutus to prevent Caesar from becoming the ruler of Rome. Speaking of Caesar, Cassius says, quote, Why, man, he doth bestride the narrow world like a colossus, and we petty men walk under his huge legs and peep about to find ourselves dishonorable graves. Men at some time were masters of their fates. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves, that we are the underlings." The stars are not to be blamed for our predicament as slaves to tyrants, Cassius suggests. Rather, our problems are found within ourselves. It would be a rather odd state of affairs if, after contemplating what Shakespeare has penned through the mouth of Cassius, that we ask the questions, with what did Shakespeare originally write Julius Caesar? Was it a feather from a goose? A black swan? A pigeon? A turkey? Was it even a feather? Maybe it was an iron stylus, and from what was the ink made? The pen and ink are only the vehicles through which Shakespeare conveyed his timeless classic of the tragic rise and fall of a Roman potentate. A focus on the pen and ink, while interesting questions, fail to address the point of Shakespeare's message. That is, there is something inherently flawed within human beings. Why do we applaud and elevate tyrants? Why do we worship and venerate other flawed human beings like ourselves? Can we really lay the blame for our misery on the stars? Shakespeare wrote Julius Caesar near the end of the 16th century, a time of tremendous political, religious, and scientific upheaval. Our understanding of the universe was undergoing a massive tectonic shift from a geocentric cosmos to that of a heliocentric solar system. The church had undergone an earthquake of a split with the Reformation, and astrology of medieval times was a confusing amalgam of portents and prognostications. In 1604, not but a handful of years after Julius Caesar was written, the famed planetary astronomer Johannes Kepler was asked what the new supernova he just discovered meant for the world. Kepler is said to have exhorted his astrologically-minded inquirers to repent of their sins. Today, our scientifically-minded culture doesn't so much look to the stars for astrological signs regarding world affairs, as did the ancients and early medievals, but rather about what the stars are made of, how they work, or how they came to be. We are far more concerned with a desire to know the quantitative and material aspects of the cosmos, rather than what it all might mean. Consider what astrophysicist Emma Chapman says about studying the very first stars of the universe. Quote, As well as searching for the first stars directly, we have employed direct methods, including performing autopsies on that first generation of stars. You'd think the death of a star would mean the loss of an observation possibility. But it is quite the opposite. The first stars died in such dramatic ways, either by the luminous pair instability supernovae or by directly collapsing into black holes, that telescopes may potentially detect them. "...the lives and deaths of the first stars and black holes have a lasting effect on their surrounding environments, an effect we can measure and reverse-engineer to learn about them." Quote. But what is the ultimate rationale for studying stars and black holes? Why study the death of stars? Secular science suggests that the atoms in our bodies came from supernovae, and in studying stars, we can know more about ourselves. It appears to some degree that cutting-edge modern astrophysics has come inadvertently full circle to ancient astrology, namely in looking to the stars to know more about our origins, ourselves and our future. The scientific quest for technical explanations about the cosmos has overshadowed the more important questions of what it all means. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why do stars exist at all? And why so many stars? Do they have a purpose? These are questions a strictly materialistic view of the universe cannot answer. It is akin to missing the message of Shakespeare's prose and instead focusing on the questions regarding his quills and ink. Again, interesting questions in their own right, but ones that overlook or entirely ignore the greater questions of meaning and purpose. The heavens are indeed written in a luminous script. They do convey a message. The stars are not just gas, dust, and plasma, but are silent messengers that daily and nightly proclaim the glory of God, just as Shakespeare's quill and ink are but vessels through which the great bard formed some of the greatest literary works of all time. As we approach Christmas, one star in particular takes center stage. It is the singularly unique star mentioned in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Matthew. For centuries, scientists, philosophers, poets, playwrights, and priests have speculated about what the star might have been. Was it a coming together of two planets, a supernovae, a comet, or was it some other unknown astronomical phenomenon, or maybe even something quite miraculous? Again, interesting questions, but the star is not the central focus of Matthew's message. The star is a sign, a fulfillment of prophecy, a silent messenger declaring the glory of God to the Magi who came to Jerusalem to inquire about the birth of the King of the Jews whose star they had seen in the east. The star is all about Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us, King of kings, and Lord of lords. As the glorious Christmas hymn declares, Mild he lays his glory by, veiled in flesh the Godhead see Hail the Incarnate Deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. The very one who made the stars by the breath of his mouth draws a breath as an infant in an earthly manger. Greater than the sun, greater than all the suns in the universe, The radiant glory of God in Christ is revealed to us in the humble frame of an infant. It is finally not about what Matthew's star was. It is not finally about what stars are made of. It's not about quill and ink of a brilliant 16th century playwright. It is all about the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, dying for our sins, the fault alluded to by Cassius. Our future and hope are not in knowing more about the stars, but about coming to know and putting our lives and hope and trust in the love of God in Christ, the very love that knit us together in our mother's womb the very love that forgives us of our debts and faults, the very love that moves the sun and other stars. On this special combined two-part Christmas episode of Apologetics Profile and Good Heavens, we talk about the star mentioned by Matthew, go into some of the details of what people have thought it could be, and finally, who the star is really all about. Here is Watchman Fellowship Senior Apologist Brady Blevins.
1: I am Brady Blevins, and welcome to Apologetics Profile Podcast. It is great to be back with you. If you have uh, listened to us before, if this is your first time, you're in for a treat, as we have a familiar voice. In fact, um, in fact, you could almost call this double duty for Mr. Daniel Ray. as uh, And if you don't know Daniel, he is the co-editor of the great book story of the cosmos along with uh, his co-editor and that was Paul Gould a uh, great book if you haven't read it you want to uh, and he is a staff apologist here at Watchman fellowship and just an all-around great guy super smart and you're gonna you're gonna get to experience that uh, then with him is um, is his partner in crime on our sister podcast we uh, Which is Good Heavens, and and I'm excited because I've listened to Wayne on, uh, I mean, a number of times. I'm a I'm a faithful listener to the Good Heavens podcast, and but this is my first time uh, to actually be with you, Wayne. So, Wayne, welcome
2: yes and good heavens I'm on apologetics profiles now <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dan welcome uh welcome uh, to getting to sit in the uh, hot seat yeah so yeah uh, yeah it's it, normally you're hosting this thing but, yeah. but I'm hosting it now and uh, so just to tell you guys uh all of our listeners here about Wayne uh Wayne is uh, Wayne's a really smart guy because he has a bachelor's degree in physics from Kansas State. He has a master's in physics from Wichita State University. Uh, He has uh, studied in the field of education at Emporia State University. It's also in Kansas. Now, he may be a glutton for punishment because at one point in his life, he taught middle middle school and high school level math, which... Yes, believe it or not. There is an extra place in heaven for anybody who ever teaches in middle school, certainly... That's uh,
2: right, uh, Brady. I would say the toughest audience you'll ever have is a group of seventh graders. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, I'm not going to argue. Brady, uh,
0: <laughs> I, I taught middle school too, but it was English. So Wayne did English. Wayne did the math. I did the English, but we not together. But we we did both, both did middle school.
1: Okay, it would it's, yeah. it's going to have to be a whole other podcast to figure out what's worse to teach middle school English and middle school math. But um, apparently, y'all guys made some kind of deal with the devil at some point in your life, and that was when you had to pay up. So
0: well, I will tell. Tell you above me, above my desk here, my production studios here in my little house where I edit my podcasts. Above me is a pen, a pen drawing of one of my seventh grade students uh, who, and now my last seventh grade class was um, in 2012, so we're looking almost 10 years ago. I heard from one of my students uh, two years ago who was uh, who came to Christ uh, after she graduated high school and in her words in her email because of the way we talked about jesus in class every day and so i have yeah i have her picture above my uh above my desk to remind me of uh the good you know we always joke about how bad it is to teach middle school but you know when you have one of those gems um you you never want to forget that so awesome things
1: yeah that's that's good stuff um Well, you know, Wayne, Wayne, I was just uh, impressed as I was kind of studying up on you a little bit more. Uh, For those who don't know, Wayne was vice chairman of the Mid-Kansas Branch Chapter of the Bible Science Association. Uh, You've presented five different times at the International Conference on Creationism there in Pittsburgh. Uh, You've written articles for Answers in Genesis, Creation Ministries International, probably leaving some out. Uh, but um, uh, I think one of the greatest things that uh, I guess really endears uh, you to me is, is that I, I noticed that um, in your bio that there was actually one time that you presented at the Dallas Skeptic Society. Yes, I did. Well, it's that's not the point of today's podcast, but we're <laughs> going to have to talk about that at some point in time. <laughs> but what we are going to talk about today is... The Christmas Star, and I'm going to read the passage here in just a minute. But I got to tell you, when uh, when this topic came up as f- to, to be one of our podcast, I was really excited, and I was happy to. It, I was ex- excited to be a part of this because this is something that I've looked at before. I mean, I've taught Life of Christ at the college level um it's i mean obviously as a christian i mean we all should probably love you know studying the life of christ and this is just one of those enigmas and you know listen all my training is in is either in bible theology apologetics or counseling so this goes so far outside of my sphere that i am just happy to get to be a part and Uh, I I would like to tell you that I'm going to give some great, massive input into this, but more or less I'm just going to kind of listen in and eavesdrop on you guys, and I'll be the guy that asks all the dumb questions. And so (laughs) we'll we'll enjoy it. It'll be good times, good times. Sure. Hopefully, and maybe we might even ruin some Christmas cards while we're at it. I don't know. That'll be up to you guys. We'll try to to be. uh,
0: I think, Brady, one thing we ought to make clear since this is Apologetics Profile, um, we are going to be discussing tonight many different points of view about over, that have been throughout history over explanations about what this star could have been. And we are not suggesting that if you have one of these views that you are in some kind of aberrant uh, celestial cult.
1: <laughs> right. We are, not, uh, we
0: are not here to bash. We will certainly give our opinions about what we think. But uh, yeah. this, is, this is wide open. This is a gray area, and there are lots of different opinions about um, you know, Absolutely. what was the physical manifestation that occurred. So just to be clear to, to people, this is not uh, calling any particular view out and saying, well, you heretic. Um, this is just looking what the Bible text says and then examining the history and the ideas of what the star could have been. So no worries there.
1: Well, good sure. deal. That, that is, um, and those are good words because— you know there there is there is an element of mystery, and, and I think probably the best place to start before we get into any questions and and really get rolling is to go straight into Matthew because it's in the Book of Matthew. This is the only place the Matthew's Gospel where we hear of this star, and of course that that brings all kinds of uh, questions to our mind. And so I got my Bible open here, and I'm in Matthew chapter two, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read a few verses here. And then uh, then we'll kind of get into this. So Matthew chapter 2, the Bible says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is so written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. And so... You think that it's over, right, at that point, and then you go into verse 7 and it says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent to them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So, uh, I'm going to cut it off right there, but what I think before we start going into all the different types of of um, uh, theories on what this star was, hmm. I think maybe a good place to start would be to answer this question for me, if you could, gentlemen. What did Matthew's audience think of, or what do you think that they thought a star was?
0: Excellent question. Wayne, you want to start?
1: Well, in the Bible in general,
2: um, star can mean any light in the sky. So they didn't really have different terms, as far as I know, for like meteor or comet or planet or star. Although they sometimes, they might have had some other terms for planet. But uh, but you don't see it in the Bible. Um, So star can mean anything in the sky, really.
0: And um, speaking of a text, uh, we have to understand that since Matthew is opening the New Testament, uh, Matthew's audience would have been primarily Jewish. And, um, um, of course, the familiarity, the necessity of going back and understanding the star uh, biblically, what, what a star would be from the Old Testament. And um, one of the things, one of the suggestive passages is in uh, Job 38, um, when God is questioning Job about creation, Where were you um, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? So to to add on to what Dwayne said, a star in the Bible is like a human being or an angel in that it conveys a messenger. Angolas is messenger, angel, uh, human beings are messengers, and creation itself sends a message. And with the heavens... um, the creation declares the glory of God. And so another, another possible tie-in to what the star would have been to Matthew's audience would have certainly brought to mind uh, the prophecy of Balaam in Numbers 24, uh, 17, where Balaam says, I see a star rising out of Jacob. Uh, and so, so as Wayne said, in a, in a see, we're, we're so science minded that we think of like what, what astronomical phenomenon could they have seen. but really we have to be biblically minded first and understand that a star, biblically speaking, is a messenger that declares the glory of God. You think of the shepherds in Luke 2. They are messengers that convey to the shepherds the birth of Jesus. Um, and, and, and the light shone round about the shepherds. So here the angels are singing. Verbally you hear their voice declaring that Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And so I would say first and foremost that, 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 that Israel, a Jewish audience, wouldn't be concerned with like, well, was that a comet, a meteor, a planet? Was that a, you know, they would be more concerned with the prophetic, uh, biblical prophetic relationship to the Old Testament prophecies.
1: So they're they're not thinking just gas. They're thinking <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> right? right. They're, they're,
2: thinking, they're asking what does it mean? Yes,
0: yes. And so so there, there's yeah. tremendous symbolism and uh, meaning in terms of Matthew's choice of a word there. I think.
1: Now, I, and and if and if I'm asking this question too early, or I'm, I'm kind of getting things out of order. You know, my thought has always turned to. Uh, the wise man or magi as, as some other translations may say uh, mm. we know they came from the east obviously these guys were these guys were astronomers to at least some extent uh that they're they're looking what what do you think of this or 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 is it just a symbolism and they had a you know, they had to understand because it's very much possible that these guys could have been of a spiritual lineage of Daniel. So who, who do y'all guys, uh, does this play into, um, the whole narrative of who these wise men, who these magi were that came from the East and how they would have viewed the star?
2: Well, that's a good question, Grady. And I think I have, would kind of operate on the assumption that they were from Persia. Uh, Daniel was in Babylon and in Persia. And in the book of Daniel, we have a description of Daniel was kind of treated as one of this group of people. It doesn't use the word magi in the book of Daniel, but it it talks about the sorcerers and wise men and advisors to the king. And that's what these magi were. And I'm assuming it was one of those people. So they were probably... Uh, they they probably were experienced in observing the stars, and uh, they might have been uh, uh, somehow connected to or believers in this Zoroastrian religion, because that was the one of the prominent religions in Persia for a long time. Uh, the, per- the Zoroastrians were monotheists. So there were some similarities to Judaism, but to what the Jews believe, but very different in other ways. And obviously Daniel was not a Zoroastrian, but um, because the Jews were in Persia and some of the Jews never went back to uh, Jerusalem or or Israel after the exile. So... There could have been some knowledge of of the uh Old Testament scriptures, I think, and so I think it's possible Dan mentioned the uh prophecy of of Balaam, uh, which is from numbers chapter twenty four and that's a really interesting thing it's uh, kind of surprising sometimes who God. Picks as his spokesman. Absolutely, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so, yeah, I think they could have been from Persia. They could have been some of these uh, Zoroastrians, um, but I, they must have had something that they had heard about uh, a prophecy about a, a king that was to be born. Yeah,
0: and to to add to what Wayne is saying, there's there's um, commentary signif- A commentary I was reading on this. Um, talks about the parallel between the Magi's arrival and uh, the, making the comparison to 1 Kings 10, 1 through 10, where the Queen of Sheba brings her entourage mm-hmm. in, and visits Solomon yeah. and gives him gifts of gold and a great quantity of spices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what the Magi are bringing are, are gifts uh, that seem to be indicative of, of their country of origin, perhaps frankincense and myrrh would have been Persia, Babylon, what we you know modern day Middle East from the east but um, but uh, with this with this visit of foreign dignitaries in Matthew in the in the second chapter, of course we can think of when Jesus says to to the to to people that uh, one something greater than Solomon is here, so you know sheba sheba comes. Uh, to visit uh, Solomon, but the wise men come to visit the king of kings and the the Lord of lords. But uh, it is true, there is there is some, uh, th- their origin, uh, place of origin, what they knew, as Wayne said earlier, is kind of shrouded in, in mystery. We can kind of touch on the idea of the magi, what they were, um, you know, royal courtiers, um, king king's advisors, advisors to kings. There's some later translations of scripture that say uh, the king's kings came to visit right but uh, this is a prophetic prophecy that is fulfilled um, the kings will come to the right the brightness of your rising i think it's in isaiah and then micah 5 and isaiah 60 uh, there's prophetic tie-ins to these things and it's interesting too because in the Matthew, in matthew's gospel we have the first account if you want to call them converts the first worshipers of Jesus are not jews which is really interesting um uh fascinating and the other the other fascinating thing about the magi is that they what so the, the question is what did they see what and how did they come to understand uh there's a long and complicated uh, um, history of greek astrology of course astrology and astronomy back then were were, were pretty much one and the same um and there have been, and we'll we'll get, we'll get into the specificity of the um, what what this could have been what the magi may have seen in the sky but it, it's it's I think it's important to emphasize they saw a star, not multiple stars right We saw his stars and we saw his signs. Mm-hmm. we saw a star and I think that that can uh-huh. in this discussion that that's important to keep in mind because a lot of things that are offered as a physical explanation are are multitudinous. There's more than one thing going on.
2: That's a good point, Dan. Yeah. And yeah. uh, so that helps
0: me. That's always helped me historically. And I think it matches what what Wayne had said earlier. There's there's a little bit of a mystery here. But if we're talking about objects, I think I think any theory that suggests there's more than one celestial object in mind here, if they were diligent astrologers, astronomers, they would have known there were two or more objects involved and said, would have said something like, we saw his signs in the constellation of, yeah, you know, but we saw his star. And so so that's just something to keep in mind as we go forward.
2: Yes. Uh, well, I was just thinking about how people try to relate this to science. Um, so it's never been a really big burning question to me, really, about what was the star of Bethlehem. Well, I've thought about it. and A lot of people have questions about it. So it's good to uh, go through this. But, um, you know, sometimes Christians are encouraged by something that sounds you know, where you can relate a natural phenomena like astronomical observation, like a star or a conjunction or something, to something like the Star of Bethlehem in, in the Bible. But um, sometimes non-Christians don't really like what they hear about these things. I mean, they don't want to, They to them, it may sound like it's kind of a forced artificial concept to connect a, and something in astronomy to the Bible. Or, or another thing that they do sometimes is they make an assumption that people of the time, like say the Jews, would have believed in things ab- about astrology. And so they they use astrology as part of the argument for how to connect it to something in the sky. You know what I'm saying? So they make an assumption that because this, a certain event, maybe a certain conjunction of two objects in the sky, that would be interpreted from astrology a certain way. That's how the Jews would interpret it. But I don't don't want to go that direction. I mean, the Bible doesn't encourage astrology. Um, So I think we had, I would focus more on uh, things like, was it really a notable event to someone who was used to looking at the stars? Did it happen at the right time in the right place so that they could see it? And uh, does it follow the details of scripture that we have?
0: Yeah, and that's an important point because there are different theories, contemporary theories about what the star could have been. That are rooted in explanations uh, from Greek astrology. So there was there's two kinds of astrology back in the ancient times. Um, by the time of the Magi, there was the early Babylonian astrology um, was supplanted by later Greek astrology. And so, if the wise men were for Persia or Babylon, they would have been familiar with Babylonian astronomy. But at the time of the wise men. Um, you're, you're talking about a, a region that would have been steeped in what had become a, a, a Greek uh, astrology. Yes. Uh, the different theories today, you will read one explanation like I was reading a book by a, a gentleman who, who, who espouses uh, say Michael Molnar. He has an interesting theory, but it involves a, a complicated amalgam of, of being familiar with Greek astrology. And then the ability, you have to kind of strain your imagination to, to think how would this sign have been visible during the day when some of these things took place. So the confusion about, the, well I say confusion, but the, the differences of opinion do rest in how one interprets how to, to properly interpret what ancient, that you know, first century people would have understood about Greek astrology. It was all over the place. I mean certainly they would have known, but um, but. Coming to Judea specifically, seeing the star, these are, Matthew isn't great in all the details, but I do want to go back to really quickly and then we'll, we'll move, move on to more of your good questions, Brady. Um, so I do want to go back to Micah in chapter 5, the prophecy, 5-2, uh, but as for you, Bethlehem, and this is about seven or eight centuries before Jesus was born, but as for you, Bethlehem, uh, uh, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forths are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And uh, so I think it's interesting you have the star in Matthew and then you have the angelic annunciation to shepherds in Luke chapter 2. And so, you know, we can get all bogged down in what was the star, but more wondrously, not what was the star, but to whom was the star pointing. Of course, the obvious and wonderful thing is that this is God with us, Emmanuel, um, you know, Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, becoming incarnate in an infant um, you know, and we just did an apologetics profile a two parter on uh, the stranger in the manger who is who is the Christ? who is Jesus yes um, and and the different mm-hmm. views that about uh, Jesus as God the, the Trinity. Um, but this wonderful thing, uh, this Annunciation of 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 Jesus to the magi and then in, in Luke to the to the angels um, it's a wonderful thing it's all about Jesus and so um, uh, that that's obviously when you get into this that's the thing to keep in mind. Uh, it's all about Christ.
1: That's uh, that is a good point. Yes. Uh, really keep us grounded within the conversation and the thoughts. Uh, and when I say we, uh, I mean all of us uh, as we as we look to try to figure out uh, what this uh, what the star was. And w- one thing uh, I want to pull back for just a second. Um, Wayne mentioned uh, Zoroastrianism, and I would be uh, amiss if I did not mention. That uh, we have a profile to Zoroastrianism, and we'll uh, we'll leave the link to that profile in the notes. And it was uh, it was written by some guy named uh, Brady. I don't know. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> now, I read it, Brady. It was all oh, right. did you? Just... All right, good deal. Good yes. deal. Yes. That was. Uh, uh, we're we're planning on trying to take some of my students to uh, their fire temple in Dallas. Um, yeah, oh wow, so that would be great! Oh, they have a temple in Dallas. Yes, I'm there surprised. is a fact. They're they're kind of a hard group to to get a hold of because they um, let's just say uh, you know they they were started maybe as as early as 500 BC. That's what some scholars say. Uh, but uh, but yeah, they they haven't quite done as well as uh, Judaism or Christianity <laughs> as far as staying power. All right, let's put our focus back on the Christmas star in. Um, in thinking about our conversation, I heard people say that this was a, a bright meteor. It could be a comet. It could be a supernova explosion. It could be a occultation of Jupiter. It could be a planetary conjunction. In fact, that's that's actually one that I've heard um, probably the most in, in my, albeit limited, research. Uh, that is definitely one of the uh, one of the more popular uh, explanations I've heard. So uh, I want to throw it to you guys. Uh, let, let's kind of start breaking down these theories, and if, if wherever y'all guys want to start is is good for me.
2: Well, yeah, these are this is some of the variety of things that have been suggested. Um, first of all, if you want to try and relate it to astronomical events, you need to have some idea of when this happened. So you run into the question of just when was Jesus born? So to answer that, uh, usually what people do is uh, go back to what happened in the life of Herod, that uh, we know that it was sometime, maybe not too long after Jesus was born, that Herod died, and uh, we know that after Jesus, when Jesus was born, and Herod found out, that he set out to uh, kill the um, the baby boys that had been born in the vicinity of Bethlehem. And then sometime after that, Herod died. So there's a variety of opinions about the death of Herod and when that was. And m- many scholars would usually say around 4 BC or 5 BC, maybe, um, there's but there's some controversy that's come up about Herod's death. And some say Herod died later, like about 1 B.C. And I actually tend to lean toward the later date uh, of 1 B.C. And that would put Jesus' birth around 2 B.C. But if you, if you want to hold to the earlier date for Herod's death and Jesus' birth would be maybe 5 or 6 B.C. Some, even, some would even say 7 B.C. So you're talking about a range of years from about 7 B.C. up to 1 B.C. Uh, it's got to be in that time frame if it's an astronomical event.
0: And it's important to emphasize, too, I mean, we've said it already, but uh, to, that the Jews, so, so when the wise men arrive in Jerusalem, Herod and the Jews don't seem to have seen this. But it's important to keep in mind that they were not astrologers, and they would not have been paying attention to the to the heavens or to the stars in an astrological sense as the Magi would.
1: Yeah, that, that that's a good point because uh, you're you're never going to notice what you're not looking for, you know. And um, and Wayne, I th- I think you bring up a really good point of trying to um, get an idea of of the year that Jesus was born, uh, and one of the things, and I, I think this is helpful if, if our listeners really want to delve in deeper, is to take in mind uh, a couple of the things that that we can know about the life of Christ. Uh, so, for example, we know that uh, he was crucified either in 30 or 33 A.D. And uh, we know that in his discussions with uh, the Pharisees and, and uh, I'm thinking John chapter 8 when they say, um, uh, you know, I, basically I, I remember uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Um, but uh, I remember Abraham and they say, well, how can you know Abraham? Uh, you know, you're about uh, or you're not even – uh, was it 40 years old or something or 50 years old and, you are not yet yeah you're not years yet old, 50 yes, yeah. and so now you can kind of start doing the math going okay well if he's not yet so he, he's got to be in this range so between that and in Herod's birth we can kind of start zeroing in and have a reasonable time frame uh, you know within you know within a couple of years right. whether you use the earlier right. late date um, you know it it certainly we have a pretty decent range. Uh, in Yes, play.
0: and that's that's the the key here, and, and what Wayne had has set up here, uh, whether you accept a, a one or two BC or a five or six mm-hmm. BC for Jesus's birth. Um, fascinatingly, there's no year zero. Yeah, I mean, I just I, I think it was it wasn't that long ago that I realized oh yeah there I, I well I keep forgetting that there's no year zero, but there is no year zero. It goes from one BC to one and uh, but anyway the the range of when you talk about the star of Bethlehem and you're looking for astronomical phenomenon the things that we 'd be familiar with comets planets mm-hmm. whatever uh you people go back and look at uh, what may have been astrological astronomical phenomenon mm-hmm. in uh, in that time window between seven b c and one b c
2: uh we were talking about uh, the de- the age of Jesus and uh we mentioned uh there, there's a clue in in Luke 3, verse 1, where it mentions several dates. And cl- it says uh, Herod was in his—I'm sorry, not Herod, but Tiberius Caesar was in his 15th year of his reign, and that it mentions certain other rulers, certain things happened. That's one of the things that kind of ties the New Testament to history and dates. And then there's another thing in Luke 3, verse 23— it mentions that Jesus was about 30 when he began his ministry. So there's another, that's part of the clues here um, that ties back to to here.
0: When you ask the question of like, what did they see in the sky? There are two constellations that are often taken into account uh, about the relevance of astronomical phenomenon. Something that may have happened in the constellation of Aries the Ram Or something that may have happened in the constellation of Pisces, the fish. But uh, this is kind of anachronistic, looking back on how we might see the meaning and significance of these constellations. Um, But even when you bring up the constellations and what may have happened in them, like is the moon in the constellation, is the sun in the constellation, is a Jupiter or a Saturn in these constellations... The problem is you have a constellation and then you have multiple entities involved, whether it's the sun or the moon. You're really starting to get on sketchy ground because there's no cut and dry mentioning of constellations in in the way in which we know them today. Um, from the Magi, from the text of Matthew, we we are making long-range speculation about constellation significance when you get into those kind of arguments and so it, yeah it's very
2: very subjective very subjective so, very subjective there could be many different interpretations so
0: i just say all that to say that we're not going to get into all the details of why this constellation or that constellation uh might be mentioned what we're going to talk about more i think are the certain kind of phenomena that we'd all be familiar with in general comets uh, planetary conjunction a supernova or whatever so wayne do you want to Brady, you want to get into uh, the Yeah,
1: let's jump into it. Um, What is um, I guess let's start with what is the most popular uh, theory or idea of what this star was that's mentioned in Matthew? What do you think, Wayne?
2: I think conjunctions of the planets is suggested more than anything else. But there's multiple types of conjunctions of planets that have been brought up. Um so Jan, on good heavens, we well, we often like to talk about Johann Kepler, and I've written some things about Kepler. Um Kepler uh wrote some things about the star of Bethlehem, and he brought up a conjunction that was in seven BC. It's actually something that um there were some of the conjunctions happened more than once within uh, not too long of a time. And uh, in uh, 7 BC, there were three conjunctions between Jupiter and Saturn. That had, In 7 BC, it happened May 29th, September 30th, and December 5th of that year. So today's astronomers can do calculations and go run back in time with software and they can see what it what the angle between the the planets would be. So a conjunction is just when uh, multiple objects, two or more objects become close in the sky as we look at them. And so uh, Jupiter and Saturn were about a degree apart uh, in those conjunctions in 7 BC. Uh, Would that look like one object? No, it would be discernible with the naked eye as two objects. But it hap it happened three different times. Now, um, I would think that 7 B.C. is a little too early, uh, but some people might think 7 B.C. is possible. But another issue that comes up with this is um, the the time of year. Um, if you knew the year of when Jesus was born, what time of year would it be? And that's another controversy. The Bible doesn't really tell us the month uh, of when it was born because we celebrate it in December, but that's another story how we came to nail down December 25th. And uh, uh, actually in Israel, it can get kind of cold in December. It can actually snow in Israel in December sometimes. Um, So we know that uh, from the Luke story uh, from the Luke account that shepherds were feeding their flocks um, in the surrounding vicinity uh, when the angels appeared to them so there must have been grass there must have been pasture for the for the sheep so the question is when would they be uh, out in the fields with their sheep um, what time of year would it be? It's, it's hard to yeah, say. Well, and, and, and right. what
1: makes it, uh, I think, also kind of difficult is that if these were, and I think it was Josephus that talked about this, if if these were the sheep for the the sacrifice, they would they would be out even in the cold months, and so it it really kind of it, it throws you off. And, and I like how you you alluded to you know how, you know how did we get to December twenty fifth, and this is something. I always make sure I bring it up with my students to say, "Okay, well, how did we fall at this date?" and um, and for for those of uh, those of you who are listening, who really like digging deep into all this stuff, it goes all the way back into the Old Testament, uh, the order of Abijah uh, and uh, and Zechariah, uh, really, you know being part of this, and then that's also when you start getting to your date of, of, uh, late five, early four BC for those who want to try to put it at December 25th, because, you know, you'd have, you'd have John the Baptist being conceived, uh, by or after October 10th. And it's really neat how, how they do the dates for all this. But of course, obviously, you know, probably the odds on Jesus probably wasn't born exactly on December 25th. But, um, but again, this timing thing is huge. And so can, explain a little bit more, because this does seem to be the leading thought of this, um, this grouping of planets, if you will. If you want to go into a little bit more detail on that, uh, either Wayne or Dan, whichever one.
0: Yeah, I have um, on, the, on the Christmas thing, um, there are two significant celebrations uh, in pagan Rome. And this is one of the reasons why I think it makes December the December date somewhat... Uh, and the, the planetary conjunction that Wayne mentioned and uh, the December date, um, there are two pagan celebrations that occurred in Rome. One was the uh, the uh, birthday of the unconquerable sun, Dis Natalis Solus Invicti, uh, or the Sol Invictus. It was called... Uh, the soul was the heart of the universe. And, of course, obviously the sun has... Uh, you know, it fecundates our soil. It gives us light and warmth, and so the Romans would uh, would celebrate uh, the sun um, at a point in time when it was lowest in the sky uh, at the uh, December, uh, the winter solstice. There was a second uh, December celebration called the, uh, the that celebrated the cult of Mithras. It was uh, very popular among the um, the Roman Empire and, and the and the military. And there was a great deal of Roman fascination with astrology, similar to our, similar to sort of what would be like popular New Age thinking in in our culture today. Um, But uh, so you had Mithras and the Unconquerable Sun celebrations. And uh, it's believed that December 5th, 25th was chosen as Jesus' birthday because Christians, like we do today, wanted to give meaning to pagan holidays. And so um, the first mention that we have of what we know today as Christmas December 25th uh, sometime, I don't know the date specifically it was during the medieval era where we had a something like a festival of Christ uh, or Christ Mass or Christes Massé, Um sometime in the Middle Ages but but it's it's hard to unpack that there's a whole history of you, bad history from a lot of atheists will come out and, and do these long essays about uh, pagan borrowing and all yeah. this stuff but uh, there there is actual history in Roman times about you know Christmas but but so that's one reason why it makes a conjunction possible because there is a conjunction in December uh, but I'm kind of with Wayne I think it's a little early to go on the 7 BC date
2: yeah and Dan um, if you went with 7 BC then that may well, that would make Jesus about. Thirty-six or something when he started his exactly, ministry. yeah. It's does, it's hard. Does to, that really? Does that agree with Luke? I'm not. I sure. Don't think,
0: uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I don't think. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a fan of the of the December twenty fifth as actually you know being the date. I'm more. I would lean more towards spring. Wayne and I did a whole thing on Roman uh, the first century calendars in Judea. Uh, we're both of the mindset uh, that Jesus's birth was earlier, um, or meaning like the second uh second bc um but we had it's a great podcast if you guys want to unpack that one and listen to that in more detail um but i i think i'm for more of a spring myself but 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 it's it's one of those things where there's it's ambiguous i mean there's no solid clues that we have about the actual time of year which makes the pinpointing of these astronomical phenomenon difficult Yeah, uh,
2: and and on uh, this particular one remember this was about a jupiter and saturn coming close together uh-huh. in the sky mm-hmm. and uh that's this doesn't seem very notable to me it seems to and if they were place to me
0: and if the magi were really you know students of the sky they would understand it as stars as i said earlier remember keeping this idea of a singular star in mind is key when extrapolating about what natural phenomenon this could have been so on the idea that it's singular, I think rules out a conjunction because the Magi would have told Herod, we have seen his conjunction. We have seen the conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter and Pisces. We have seen – so there's mul- you see how there's multiple things involved here where you're beyond we've seen a star. Um, that- yeah,
2: and I think what happens, Dan, is people sometimes either they don't know some of these details from the New Testament or they – they kind of some people might even treat it kind of like the details don 't matter right no then, not maybe not intentionally, but I think we need to pay attention to the details of scripture i don 't think that we 're going to find a scientific answer by uh fudging on how how to interpret scripture really right
0: and there's one there's one fascinating to just kind of uh, add to this constellation intrigue uh the book i 'd mentioned Michael Mulnar. Uh, based his thesis on coins he had found that were minted under cu- what he believes could have been Quirinius, the Quirinius of, of Luke, um, where they were Roman coinage with the emperor's head on one side, but on the other side of these coins that he found was was a ram looking back at a star. And his thesis is that whatever happened in the sky happened in the constellation of Aries. Here's this coin, interesting not, not provable. Again, we're bringing in constellations where we don't have biblical evidence that they were they were paying attention to constellations.
2: Well, Dan, let's let's talk about this thing from Molner because he has he did write a book and he has uh, he was a respected astronomer and yeah. he got some notoriety for his idea. Absolutely. What he what he did was called an occultation. Uh, so he was talking about the moon occulting. Jupiter that means covering the moon, Jupiter the moon covers covers the uh covers Jupiter and then when it comes comes peeking out from the edge then that's supposed to be significant and uh, this is again assuming really an astrological argument about the moon and Jupiter Jupiter's king a kingly planet you know the biggest planet and then there's often uh significance attached to the moon when certain things happen so um and that occultation actually would have happened twice in six BC in the in the case of what he brought up. Um
0: well and the other thing about the occultation, Wayne, is that I, I'm not sure exactly I want to do Dr. Molnar's justice here, but the signs that he suggests transpired, uh some of them would have happened in the daytime. So you'd you'd have to like know where this is happening. It wouldn't be entirely visible in the sky. So you have multiple things. Again, here's the problem of having multiple things going on. You have a moon going in front of Jupiter in the constellation of Aries during the daytime. I mean, not exactly visible and guiding and leading like the star we see in Scripture in Matthew.
2: Right, but in, as they try to relate an astronomical event, so they think of it this way usually, that that when the, when the wise men were... Far away from Jerusalem in the east, like in Persia or wherever they came from, they needed one event to kind of point them toward Israel the and get, get them get them started. Yeah, right? right. Then then they needed another event to uh, when one. They were in Jerusalem. They were they left Herod to go to Bethlehem. They need something else then at yes. that time. Yes, and, and the- so the, this this quotation is suggested. Because see, it would happen once in on March 20th, 6 BC, and that would happen about sunset, and then it would happen again on April 17th, 6 BC. But the April 17th one is the problem because yes, it happens at noon, and right. at noon, you, at noon, you might be able to see the moon, but you can't see Jupiter.
1: All right. Well, I hate to interrupt, but I think this is a, probably a good place for us to stop, and uh, we'll we'll pick it we'll pick up this conversation again in part 2 of our discussion of the Christmas star. So guys, I want to thank you so much and uh, ask if you'll hold on and uh, and we'll we'll finish up this conversation.
0: We hope you've enjoyed part one and we hope you'll join us next week for more on our look into the star of Bethlehem and if you have family, friends or co-workers who might be interested in this topic we encourage you to share these episodes with them. We hope to have you along with us next week and we here at Watchman Fellowship hope you and your family and loved ones have a wonderful Christmas season For Watchman Fellowship, I'm Daniel Ray